Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Ryan. I'm excited to uh, be here with you this morning. Happy Labor Day weekend. Hope it's uh, off to a great start. Uh, a little bit interesting uh, fact about me. I used to be on staff here at Stapleton Fellowship Church, so I am not brand new here uh, with you this morning, although it was seven years ago when I was on staff. So we weren't in this building at that point. We were at the school behind there, and those are the portable church days. So it's been kind of fun reminiscing with some of you about that, of dragging the trailer and setting up chairs and pipe and drape and all that good stuff. And back then, you also had uh, name tags that uh, folks would wear and and uh, remembering with Ryan Wickstrom how I would I would come in and on accident I would take his name all the time and slap it on and go throughout the morning as Ryan Wickstrom and I guess nobody really knew because I was Ryan Whitson and he's close enough I suppose but nonetheless uh, good memories good times we keep tabs on uh, on all of you uh, my wife Laura uh, has gone on women's retreats and done some functions with them as well and so we love this church and it's been exciting to be a very small part of of your journey over the last handful of. Um, of years. Uh, currently, right now, I'm a pastor at Good News Community Church. We're up in the North Denver area. We're a multi-site church, and today we are doing something a little unique with Labor Day weekend, and we have closed the doors of our church services in both campuses coming together, and we have uh, formed uh, serving teams, and, and all throughout the North Denver area, we have teams serving, whether it be at food banks or nursing homes or pregnancy centers or partnering with the different cities and communities, such as Commerce City or Westminster and Broomfield, those kinds of things. Uh, to to show and share the love of Christ. And so it's it's a great time. Uh, after we leave here, I'll be heading out, and we all come together for a barbecue and games and just to, to be together. And, and that's really the key. As good as it is to serve and to be out in the community and to doing things like that, and it's a really good thing, the part I love the best is that people from both campuses are coming together and they're serving together. And, and, and they're doing stuff that's good, but they're also, you know, at this very minute, they're, they're laughing and they're joking around and they're, and they're getting to know each other and, and they're, they're just building that community, building those relationships. And that's the critical, critical part. And so I want to share something that's conviction of mine. I hope you agree with me. And the conviction that I have goes something like this, that I am convinced that God uses other people to change the direction of our lives. Do you agree? I mean, any of us can, I can too, can, can think about our lives and to think my life could have gone a hundred, maybe a thousand different direction if, directions if it wasn't for a key person that, that showed up at just the right time and said just the right words to me or, or gave me uh, some wise counsel or was just there for me in a special way that redirected the steps of my life to end up where I'm at today. I could think back of people in my life such as such as uh, uh, Victor, the person who led me to Christ, or some different mentors that I've had, uh, Bob and, and Jim and, and others, and certainly my wife Laura, and just other people that have been there at certain points in my life to change the trajectory of my life. And it's the same with you. God brings these people at just the right time. And to give an example from Scripture of how this looks, if you have your Bible or you can follow along the screen behind, go to Acts chapter 9. Because there's a, a person that most of us, all of us, have probably heard about, the Apostle Paul, from the Bible. And he had the trajectory of his life changed because of one person. Just one person showed up, did something in his life, and it changed everything for him. Look with me at Acts chapter 9, verse 26 says this, when Saul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. 
So, so what's going on here? Well, before Paul was Paul, Paul was known as Saul, and Saul was uh, out to destroy the early church. He hated the church. He hated Christians, and so he oversaw the, the murder in some cases, such as Stephen. He, he was hauling off people to jail. All of his religious passion and fervor was sent on, uh, spent on that to squash, to crush this early church movement. And then Jesus showed up and changed everything. And in that day, right away, he became a follower of Christ. And so, so all that energy and passion he spent to, to try to destroy the church, now he wanted to go and to serve the church. But he had a problem. Nobody trusted him. It was the kind of thing where he might show up at, at a fellowship and say, hey, I want to be here. Can I, can I minister among you? And they're like, uh, no. Like last week, you hauled off my community group. I have nobody left. Now you want to preach at my church. No, you know, we don't trust you. No, thank you. And so walls were everywhere for him to be able to jump in and serve somewhere, and then one guy shows up and changes everything. Look with me at verse 27. It says this, But Barnabas, his friend, took him and brought him to the apostles. Barnabas, a respected leader in the church, said, I'll vouch for him. He's okay. He's actually one of us now. God showed up. God changed his heart. He is a new creation, a new man, and he wants to get involved in serving. And because he did that, the early church leaders then trusted Paul and brought him into the fold and allowed him not only to be amongst the Christians, but also to be able to minister and serve in the early church. And history has been changed ever since. Our lives in this room, many of us have been changed ever since. Half the New Testament-ish, I mean, so much of it has been written by, by this man. He, he's impacted potentially billions of people, one of the first missionaries, and in some ways, because one guy stepped in, in the course of his life, the trajectory of his life was completely changed. God can use you in just the same way. God can use you to change the trajectory of the life of someone else. And that's an incredible thing. This morning, I, I want to I propose something. I want to propose this, that there are three people or I should say three types of people that you and I, we need in our lives. Now look, we could, we could you know, live the course of our lives, get up, pay bills, drive kids to soccer practice, retire and die, and we can go throughout the course of our lives, and if these people aren't here, our life will happen. But if you want to be somebody who grows deeper in your relationship with God, if you want to be somebody who, who, who God uses to change somebody else's life, to make an eternal impact in somebody else's life, I am convinced, and I hope you are by the end of this morning, that you need these people in your life. And not only that, but you need to be one of these people to somebody else because somebody else needs you desperately to be one of these people. This is absolutely key. This is a, it applies to my life. It applies to your life. This is all of us. So the way we're going to do this, introduce these three people, is, is we're going to look at the life of David, the Old Testament king. And so if you have your Bible, you can go to 1 Kings. We're going to be at different places there or, of course, follow along on the screen behind. And we're going to look at David's life. He lived an epic life. I mean, just an incredible life. But here's the thing about David. David's life would not have gone the way it did if it wasn't for three people that God brought into his life at just the right time. And because David, or because God did that in David's life, everything about him and his life and his experience with God and other people changed. And it's the same with us. So all that said, let's get started. Let's jump into these three people that, that uh, you can follow along in your bulletin on that white piece of paper. Take notes here. Here is person number one that you and I need. We need a friend who helps you to grow, who helps us to grow. You need that kind of friend. 
You need a friend who, who sees the good in you, who sees the potential in you, who, who, who helps you to mature and grow, who, who has the courage and, and the ability to, to push you and encourage you to grow closer in your relationship with God. Do you have a person like that? Do you have somebody that, that spurs you on and encourages you in that? I hope you do. I hope you do, because we all need a person like this. And thankfully, David did. So let's jump into his life. We're going to be in first or first Samuel. Excuse me. I said first Kings earlier, I think first Samuel chapter 16. Now, here's the setting here. God had just rejected the king of Israel, whose name was Saul. Now, this is not the same Saul that we just looked at with Paul. This is an Old Testament Saul, the first king of Israel. And he had gone wayward. And so God said, I have rejected him as king. It's time to anoint a new king. So he calls his prophet Samuel and says, Samuel, I'm sending you out to anoint a new king. In fact, I'm sending you to the household of Jesse, and there you'll find the one. So Samuel goes, finds the household of Jesse, shows up, and he's about to anoint a future king. And so Jesse's excited. This is a good day, right? Hey, a king's going to come from our family. So he ushers in all the boys that he has, so, so was thought. And so the oldest, the biggest, the, you know, the, the brightest, the strapping young guy shows up, and Samuel's sitting here looking at him thinking, that's probably him. I mean, he, he looks kingly, I suppose, and so I think he's the one. The only problem is God said, that's not the one. So they move on to the next oldest, and they bring him in, and that wasn't the one either. And the next oldest, and the next oldest, and finally they go through all the boys, and it's none of them. God has spoken. It's none of those boys. And so Samuel says, is there's not anybody else, to which point Jesse says, well, I guess there is one other, the runt of the family, David. He's out tending the sheep. So Samuel says, well, go get him. We're not even going to sit down until you bring him back in. And so they waited. But notice something here. Even David's own dad didn't see kingly potential in his own son. Even he didn't bring him to the party to enjoy this moment. Even he thought it surely isn't David. Let's go ahead and have him keep doing the household chores. Why bother? And they brought him in. And then God speaks to Samuel as the young David came to him. I'm going to be in verse 12 of 1 Samuel chapter 16. It says this, rise and anoint him. I've chosen, I've chosen David. This is the one. And so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. Here this day, there was nobody in that room who saw anything much with David. But God allowed Samuel to see something that nobody else did, the future king. That's an amazing thing. God used Samuel to change the course of David's life and help David see that God can do more through him than probably David even himself realized. See, God can do that. Everyone else overlooked David, but God helped Samuel see the future king. An amazing thing. And it wasn't just that moment in terms of Samuel's role in David's life. From that day until the day that Samuel died, Samuel was a continual source of, of encouragement and coaching and wisdom for David. He was a person that helped him grow, that helped him mature, that, that pushed him to help him be better. Again, do you have a person like that in your life? I had several people like this. One in particular, a gentleman named Bob. It was the summer of 1996. I was a camp counselor, and I went to Bob, and I said, Bob, would you meet with me? And he said, absolutely. I meet at 6 a.m. I rejected asking at that moment. I said, 6 a.m., okay, here we go. And so we got together, and one of the first things Bob did was he began to talk to me about serving other people, asking me questions like, so who are you discipling? Who are you investing in? 
I didn't know. Nobody had ever talked to me like that. Nobody had ever given me a vision or ever communicated that, that God could use my life to impact somebody else's life. That was brand new to me. Up to that point, I had been, I had been a spectator. I'd been a consumer. I'd been a participant, but nothing more than that. And Bob kept talking to me about that. Who are you investing in? Who are you helping to grow as we're looking at? And finally, I said, Bob, nobody. But I guess if you'll help me, I'm willing to try. And I was scared, completely nervous, hadn't a clue what to do in terms of how to come alongside somebody else and help them grow in their relationship with God. But it took coming to a point of saying, okay, count me in. But I never would have gotten to that point unless Bob saw something in me to say, God can use you. You can do this, and let me give you some tools to help you, but if you're willing, God can use your life. It was a monumental shift for me. And maybe some of you have gone through something very similar. Again, who do you have in your life that is helping you to grow and to mature? Uh, here's the thing, guys. If you are hanging around with a bunch of people with bad marriages, guess what? You're probably not going to have a great marriage. If you're hanging out with a bunch of people who love to eat Twinkies for a hobby, you're not going to get into better shape. If you want to be if you want to be great with leadership, if you want to be savvy and God-honoring in your finances, you need to find people in your life and surround yourself with people that are going to help you in those different areas. We need to be around people that will help us to grow. And not only that, but you need to be a person also to help other people grow. Who are you investing in? Who are you coming alongside? Who, who are you praying for? Who do you care deeply about that they would succeed in their relationship with God? Or if they don't know him yet, that somehow, God, would you help me to introduce this person to Christ so that he can be their forever friend? I mean, who are you passionately caring about in that way? This isn't optional. We need people in our lives to help us grow. And God wants to use you in the lives of another person or people to help them grow. We need a Samuel. You need to be a Samuel. We need that. That's person number one. Let's go on to person number two if you're filling in your gap, in your notes there. You need a friend who helps you find spiritual strength. See, God wants to use you in this way. In fact, if we hit the next slide there, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. It says this, As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Now, I want to share something with you about this verse here from Proverbs 27. In English, we see the word sharpens twice, but in Hebrew, they're not the same word. They're different. And so, so the traditional sense is in the first one there is iron sharpens iron, but the other one says, so a friend sharpens a friend. That word sharpens the second time it's used. That means to refine someone's face. Interesting, isn't it? Refine someone's face or literally to, to change their character to help them refine their character in terms of who they really are. See, we need someone, as this says here, we need someone who makes us better, who, who helps us to refine our character. And by the way, that's the memory verse. I hope you all will take that slip of paper and commit that to memory, to be that kind of a person, to help other people get better, to help other people grow, or as we're seeing now, to help someone find spiritual strength in God, to find spiritual strength. Let's fast forward in David's story. So we were in chapter 16. Fast forward now to chapter 23. Go ahead and turn there. Now, at this point, David has been anointed the king, of course. We just saw that earlier in chapter 16. And he's been anointed king, but he's not yet the king. 
So he's in this awkward, odd period of time. He's waiting. He's waiting to take the throne. And during that time, all kinds of, of difficult things happen and exhilarating things happen. One of the things that happened during that time as he's waiting is that David became a war hero. People loved David. The soldiers respected him. The ladies all loved him. And he would show up into a town and it was like a ticker tape parade as he would show up. And people would be like, there's David. And they would sing this song. And the song would go something like this. Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. Now you could imagine how the king felt about that, right? The king did not like that at all. I mean, he was not downloading that onto his iPod. He was like, if anything, it just made him furious. He was like, how could the people sing that? I'm losing the heart of the people. And so Saul plotted, the king plotted to take out young David. And so join with me now in verse 15 of 1 Samuel chapter 23. It says this, that while David was at Horish in the desert of Ziph, he learned that Saul had come out to take his life. That's a bad day. As, soon, as Saul's son Jonathan and Saul's son Jonathan went to David at Horesh, and he helped him, and here's the key, find strength in God. When David was having a bad day, when he was at a low point, Jonathan comes out and in this case helped him find strength in God. This is so, so important. Every single one of us needs a friend like this. And I'll say this, it doesn't matter how spiritually mature you are, how long you've been a Christian, it doesn't matter. Every single one of us, at some point, you are going to hit a point of deep discouragement. You're going to hit a point where you feel like God is not there. You're going to hit a point where you feel like you're praying to a ceiling and it's not going anywhere. You may even get a point, get to a point where you feel like, I, I think I just might be done with God and this following him thing. I, I just... This isn't working. When you hit that point, you need a Jonathan. When everybody else is walking out, and you even might feel like God has walked out, you need somebody who's going to walk in, who's going to be there for you, who's going to take you by the hand and say, I am here, I am not leaving you, and we're going to get through this together. And I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to encourage you, and you don't quit. And let me share with you a scripture that encouraged me during a challenging time. And, and maybe it works for you, maybe it doesn't, but I just, I need to share this with you. Or even better yet, to then pray with that person and say, let's just take this to God together because you, you're not alone. And I'm going to be here for you. That's what it looks like. That's what it means to help somebody else find strength in their relationship with God. I have never met a person in my life who says, I am just too encouraged. Please, please don't encourage me anymore. I've just, I'm, I'm up here. Right? We all need it. We all need to be spurred on. We all need somebody to come alongside us so that we know we're not alone. To help us through the difficult times. I hit a point like that. Remember I shared with you I was here on staff uh, at SFC. Left here and went to be a senior pastor at a church in Broomfield. Super excited, looking forward to the new adventure. Three and a half years later, with tears in my eyes, was turning in my resignation. It wasn't part of the plan, so I thought. And it was very difficult. And for all the, I'll spare you all the details, but in that moment, besides just saying goodbye to a church family, for me, for my family, it was also the moment I, I had reached where I said, I, I, think, I think I'm done with pastoring. I wasn't done with God. It was rough for a while but I think I'm going to find another career. I, I think it's just, 
maybe I missed my calling. And those were some dark days. They were hard days. And I felt alone, with the exception of my wife, Laura. And what she did was really key because she came alongside, and and hopefully I did the same for her during the challenging time, but she came alongside, and it had nothing to do with, hey, no, no, you need to stay being a pastor. That wasn't the point, that wasn't it. But rather what she did was, you can't walk out on God. You need to keep going with him. You need to keep spending time with him. You need to keep worshiping the best that you know how. With whatever strength that you have, run to God. Bring it to God. Talk to God. Yell at God. Whatever you need to do, you don't quit. I'm not going to let you quit. That's a Jonathan. Somebody who helps you on the darkest days of your life. Do you have somebody like that? Do you have somebody that you can call up or text or even better get together with and to say with honesty from your part to them to say, I'm, I'm not okay. I'm hurting. Will you help me? Will you pray with me? You, just something. Because I need that. And not only do we need that in our lives, but God wants to use you to be that in somebody else's life. God wants you to be a Jonathan to somebody else. You may not know who they are. You may not know what phone call you receive. But to ask God, God, I'm available. And so anybody you want to use me with, or you may be aware of somebody going through a hard time and you just have the courage to reach out and give them a call and say, how are you doing? Anything I can do for you? Anybody can be praying for you? We need this. You need this. I need this. To be a Samuel, to help somebody grow, to be a Jonathan, to help somebody stay encouraged and stay the course, to not quit, don't ever quit. We need that. Let's go on to person number three. As you're filling in your notes, person number three, the third person, the last person we're going to look at this morning is this, that you need a friend who tells you the truth. You need a friend. I need a friend. We all need a friend who tells you the truth. And thankfully for King David, he had this friend. He had somebody who showed up who had the courage to hear or to say, excuse me, what he knew needed to be said, although that's not easy to do. And for David to have the courage to hear what he needed to hear, although he didn't want to hear it. See, when David was established as king, so we talked about his anointing, we talked about that time of, of waiting, finally David was on the throne and he was king. And it became the time of year, the time of year when armies go off to fight, and David in that time took his eyes off the Lord and he placed it on a married woman, Bathsheba. And ultimately he committed adultery with her. And he broke God's heart. He broke God's heart. And not only that, but he, he, he shook the foundations of his kingdom in terms of uh, uh, putting his kingdom at risk. He, he destroyed a marriage. He, he cost a man his life. This is serious, serious stuff. But you know what David did that all of us have the potential to do, and maybe you have done, is he took that sin and he took all of that stuff that he had done, that he had committed, and he, he stuffed it inside, and then he continued to live life day by day as if it didn't happen. Isn't that remarkable how we have that ability to do that? But Dave, And David did that, stuffing it inside, continuing to go along with life, avoiding the issue. But truly, it didn't. It, it didn't go away. It impacted his relationship with God and with other people. But then God, in his grace, sent Nathan, sent a man into David's life to get in his face 
and tell them the truth. And it's a long account in Scripture, so we're not going to read verse by verse through it, but here's how he did it. He told a story. He said, David, I'm going to tell you a story. There's, there's two men. One was very wealthy. He had, I mean, the livestock he had it was, was, was massive, including lots of, of lambs. And then there was another man, and this man was very poor, and he had one, one lamb, a lamb that he loved, a lamb that was like a pet, maybe even had a name for it. They would come inside of his house, and he would share from the dinner table with, it was a lamb that he loved. And the rich man had a guest come to his, his house for dinner, and rather than killing one of the many, many, many lambs that he had in his own possession, he took and he killed the poor man's lamb. And as Nathan shares the story with David, David is caught up with it, and he becomes furious, and he is enraged, and he says, who is this person? Tell me who this is. This is the most horrible thing that I had ever heard. A man should lose his very life for what he did. And then Nathan looks at him, and he says something, and this is what he says. He says this word, ish. That's Hebrew. Say it with me. Ataish. Ataish. Hey, now you know some Hebrew. He said, Ataish. You are the man. It's you. You're the one. And in that moment, and with that word, you get a picture that David crumbles. And everything he had shoved inside to keep from coming out and putting on the mask and living this kingly life, thinking that, that nobody is ever going to find out about the junk that inside, the things that he has done, it just unleashes and comes out. In fact, I would encourage you on your own this week, grab your Bibles, turn to Psalm 51, and just read through those words because you almost get a picture, and it may not exactly have happened this way, but after Nathan said that word, that David at some point went upstairs into his room, pulled out his laptop or something like that, of course, and then began to write these words down, this prayer of repentance to God, and it just gushes out of God, I own it. I did it. I'm sorry. That's what he did. But it took one guy who had the courage to get in his face and tell him the truth. Do you have somebody like that in your life? Do you have a Nathan in your life? When was the last time that you ever had somebody come to you, and let me say it a different way, that you've ever given permission to somebody to come to you and to say something like, don't do that, or stay away from that, or please don't go there, or please, I'm begging you, no, to, to tell you, to warn you that you're going you're gonna to hurt your marriage, or you're going to hurt your relationship with God, or you're going to hurt your kids or somebody else, don't do it. When's the last time you've had that? Do you have a Nathan in your life? If you don't have a Nathan in your life or somebody that you have given permission to be a Nathan in your life, to say, will you please hold me accountable? You're at risk because all of us go our own way. All of us sin. All of us fall short. All of us do things. We say things. We do things. We wish we could take back or regret. We need that. We need somebody in our lives, and if we don't have it, at some point, we may risk shipwrecking our, our faith, our marriage, our relationships, our friendships, 
because there's nobody there to hold you accountable. So who's there to say, hey, that may not be the best in terms of your marriage? Who's there to say, hey, what are you watching on the Internet? Who's there to say, how are you being a dad to your kids? Or how are your work relationships? And who have you gone to and say, will you ask me about this? Will you please ask me how I'm doing these areas? I give you permission because I need to know that somebody's going to ask me. I need to know this. And as we've been talking about with both the Samuel and, and the Jonathan, are you this, are you a Nathan in somebody else's life? Is there somebody that you have said, I, I am willing to hold you accountable? Or you have the courage when you see somebody that you love and care deeply about and they're making decisions that you think this isn't going to end well. That you've had the courage to go to them and say whatever needs to be said. This is a big deal. We need this. Do you have a friend like Samuel to make you better and to push you to grow? Do you have a friend who, again, just recapping, helps you find spiritual strength when you're at your lowest most discouraged point? And do you have a Nathan, somebody who who will tell you the truth even when you don't want to hear it? Do you have this in your life? And if you're here this morning as we wrap up and you think, I don't. I'd like to, but I don't. What, what can I do? I want to give you two very quick action steps on the bottom of your bulletin, even the part that you can tear off there uh, at the end of the service. I want to give you two very brief action steps. And Tyson, you can come on up. Number one is this. Just pray. 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 Will you begin, if, if this is something you realize, I don't have this in my life, will you begin to ask God to bring you a Samuel, a Jonathan, or a Nathan? Will you begin to ask him to do that? And as you do that, trust God to provide exactly what you need. Trust him to bring the right person into your life. Or, and I should say, and would you begin to pray that, God, would you help me to be one of these types of people in the life of someone else? Would you please do that? I am available to you. I may not have a clue what to do, but I'm willing to try. So would you open a door there? So would you pray? And then number two, Would you pursue people? Pursue people. Seek community. Seek to connect with other people. Take relational risks with people. This morning we were talking about community groups. Get into a community group. There really isn't even a better way to get together with other people, and you're not sitting in rows anymore. You're sitting in a circle, and you're looking eye to eye. And in those kind of settings, you're able to say, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm going through. This is where I'm hurting. Would you pray for me? Would you hold me accountable? I need, some, I need some spiritual strength today. Or you're able to do that for somebody else. So important to get into a community group. I hope all of you do. Get on a ministry team. Ministering together. I mean, it's a great thing to minister and serve, but doing it together, it's fun. And you build relationships and you, and you, you connect with other people. It's good, good thing. So find a, a team to minister with and somebody to do that with. Don't ever think that relationships are optional. Please don't. If you're new to SFC or, or you come here and, and this is honest, I, I did this. I did this for about a year. Slip in the back and then slip out again. And nobody ever caught my name. And I never caught anybody else's name. I didn't connect with anybody. And after a while, I stopped coming. You need to connect. You need to, so pursue people. You may just be a few friends away from changing the course of your life.
So as we close, we're going to take a moment. We're going to pray here in just a second. But I want to close with a warning. And here's my warning to you when it comes to community and friendships and pursuing these types of relationships. I want to, I want to warn you and encourage you. Would, you. would you have discernment? Because here's the thing. Some of your friends that you have currently now, they're nothing like Samuel, Jonathan, or Nathan. Some of your friends are bad news. Some of your friends are, are encouraging you in your addictions. Some of your friends are, are, are helping you, whether you realize it or not, to keep a mediocre, lackluster relationship with God where you keep him at a distance and you don't fully commit to say, God, I am all yours. We become like the people we spend time with, don't we? We tell our kids this. What about us? And what's interesting is leadership experts and sociologists, they have found that you and I, we are essentially, one way to measure us in our lives is that we are the average of our five closest friends. Try it out. Even on your bulletin right now, write down the name of your five closest friends. And what you will probably find is that you're somewhere in the middle just like them. And so if your friends have a certain financial status, you'll be somewhere around them as well. If your friends have a certain moral posture, you'll be kind of similar to them in that way. If your friends are white hot, passionate for God and pursuing him, you'll probably be very similar. But if they're not, you won't either. Have discernment about the people, the close people that you let into your life. Because again, your mama was right. You become much like the people you spend time with. Have discernment. Seek out a Samuel. Seek out a Jonathan. Seek out a Nathan. And would you ask God to help you to become one of those people in the life of someone else?